Um, and open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. Yes, I, uh, I enjoy calling Tom once in a while too, and uh, uh, we do think alike, and, and uh, we can uh, bear each other's burdens, whether, whether for better or for worse, uh, <laughs> sometimes we probably good that we can tell each other and we don't talk to anybody else. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I needed to stop by the store that uh, my daughter Stephanie runs. Uh, we have a little business in town, and um, she takes the kids with her there. And I needed to give something to her. I, I forget what it was. I was delivering something probably for my wife. And the, the two older grandkids, uh, Malachi and, and Kylie, have gotten uh, somehow... They've come up with the expectation that whenever Grandma and Grandpa comes to the store, we're bringing them something. I don't know how that would have gotten started. <laughs> um, sometimes when I, if I have time, when I stop by, I'll say, well, let's I take them for a walk just so they get out of the store a little bit, and I'll walk them up the street to the right aid and buy him a candy bar and, and go back. And, and uh, this time, I didn't have any time. And so uh, in my change bucket in the, uh, in the car, I keep some dollar coins so when I forget my wallet at home, I can still buy lunch. And uh, so I got out a couple of dollar coins, you know, and they're kind of shiny and, and uh, brass-colored there and took them in and, and said, hey, I... I, I uh, didn't have time to get you a treat or whatever, but here, here's a dollar, you know. And I said, maybe after work your mama will take you up to the store you can buy a candy bar. And they said, oh, no, we're saving these. And I thought, okay, whatever. <laughs> and uh, Stephanie filled me in on the way out the door. She said, we are, we're trying to teach them about money and saving and earning and all of that. And so they're doing a variety of things. And the reward at the end is an, they'll have their own money to buy an all-day pass at the Linden Fair for the rides. It's a whole kitty ride. They get that wristband, you know, and they just ride those rides. And, and so, boy, they're saving money, saving money. Well, a week or two later, we were going out to their house, and, and uh, this time uh, Grandma was the uh, light touch, and she said, if your room is clean, we're going to give you a dollar. So we went in, and boy, they had to take us right down to the room, and, and it's all clean. So we gave them each a dollar. And they got out their money jar and put their dollar in, and I just about asked for my dollar back because they got a wad of cash in there. <laughs> Come on. Grandpa needs a little bit of that. It's a lot easier to work hard when you know there's a good payday coming. As we conclude our study of 2 Peter on Christian growth, we're going to learn about the payday that comes from growing in Christ. We've been learning about that a little bit as we've gone along, but the last few verses of this passage are, are going to tell us in very powerful terms that the products of salvation validate the growth and the effort it takes to grow in Christ-likeness. The products of salvation... And, and certainly different passages will talk about those products in different ways, but, but the Apostle Peter lays them out for us, um, starting in uh, verse 8. But let's read the whole passage together, or I'll read it. You follow. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness by the, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature and you may escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, because of all that God has given us, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, 
to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Now here comes the payday. For if these things are yours and are abounding, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first thing that we note here as a product of salvation is salvation produces spiritual life. We learned that already in verse 1. We learned it in verses 2, 3, and 4. But listen to what Jesus said should happen to those who believe in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. In this teaching, Jesus uses the illustration of a tree uh, or of a, a fruit-bearing, a fruit-bearing uh, vine. Uh, and when he says, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches, we th- whenever we think of vines in western Washington, we think of blackberries. And we're thinking, he is, the bla- he is the vine and I'm the branch. But a grape vine in a place like Israel is something we would call a stump. Because it's, it, it's a whole bunch of vines that have woven together over the years of growing. But it's a big thing like this. And then there are branches that come off of it. And Jesus said, I am the one who provides life to you. And the natural result is that fruit comes out in your life. Genuine faith in Christ causes the believer to receive a new nature a new spiritual power from Christ that produces fruit. And that fruit uh, occurs in two broad areas, Christ-like character and Christ followers or disciples. If you are bearing fruit as a Christian, your character is becoming more like Christ, and either individually or in the group of the body of Christ, you are part of the process where disciples are being made. A few weeks ago, um, one of my assistants, uh, she's called the ministry coordinator, came into my office. She says, I just led so-and-so to the Lord. She was all excited. She said, hair's on my arm going up. And she's been working with this young lady off and on for years. That young lady comes to the, to the Lord, backs up, comes to the Lord, backs up, comes to the Lord, backs up. And this time she stepped all the way over. But you know, she's not the only one who worked with that gal. She sat in our church while I preached. She went to the youth group where, where Jim and, and, and all the other youth leaders are working, and her grandmother is a member. You know, it, it's a team effort. Fruit is Christ-like character, and it's Christ followers. According to 1 Peter 1.8, you are either going to be fruitful by spiritual growth, or you will be barren. And the word barren means, literally it means inoperative or unusable. If these things are yours, these things, verses 5 through 7, the characteristics of growth, if these things are yours and abound. In other words, it's not just that you, you came to Christ once and you did one little piece of growth in Christ. He says, no, If your life is characterized by growth, then you won't be barren or unfruitful. We can turn that around and say you will be useful and you will bear fruit. One time when Sue and I were visiting her parents in Wenatchee, um, I'm in the bathroom using the sink and the water is kind of backing up. And recently I had discovered in our house, that a common problem with that is hair gets trapped on the, uh, the overflow uh, gizmo down there. and So I thought, hey, I'm going to do him a favor. I'm going to take this apart and clean that hair out of there. <laughs> wrong, wrong answer. Don't ever take anybody's plumbing apart, including your own if you don't have to. But 
but I didn't learn that right away. So I, I go out to her dad's shop, and her dad always has impressed me as being a tool guy. He talks about going to yard sales and buying tools and so on. And I'd been in the garage and in the shop just in and out, and I could see there's a lot of stuff hanging in there. And so I go out looking for a flat blade screwdriver. Really common tool, right? You know, just flat blade. It looks like this. And he probably had five to ten flat blade screwdrivers, and not one of them had a whole tip. I thought, what in the world? He doesn't even have a screwdriver. He doesn't have a screwdriver that works. How can that be possible? Unusable. If you don't grow in Christ, you are unusable to God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and I'll mention it again, because I, I think we do have to remember this. If you're a Christian, if you really have believed in Christ, and you persist in unfruitfulness, God's not going to stand for that. He's going to come after you. Because he wants you to know the blessings of righteousness. He wants you to be useful to him. And that's a whole other message about how and why and what goes on. But God is serious about this. And you need to take him seriously. I think most of us here want to be useful to God. I want to be useful to God. I don't want to come here and do my job to no effect. I don't want to sit in my room here or at home or wherever it might be and, and, and be an unproductive branch on Christ's vine if you fail to grow, you render yourself unusable and therefore unfruitful. We've already seen that growth takes effort, but when you grow, you become fruitful. Now, what does it mean in our common way of thinking to be spiritually fruitful? Well, let me look at, let's just look at the examples here. Um, you know these, this, these verses, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a summary of the kinds of character the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you. Now, I know I didn't tell you anything new right there, but I want you to think about this from a little different perspective. I want you to step back just a minute and look at this and say to yourself, this is the stuff the, that God wants to produce in me as I give effort to growth. Look at the first one, love. What, are, how, what percentage of songs, of popular songs, are about love? Now, I know there's a lot of definitions of love, but I'm going to use that real broadly. What percentage of popular songs are about love? 90, 99, 99.9. They're all about love. If it's a country song, it's about losing love. <laughs> if it's a rock and roll song, it's about, uh, you know, I've got love. If it's, uh, it's hip-hop, it's about abusing love or whatever, you know. Um, it's about love. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me what occupies the mind of the majority of our culture is what God says he wants to produce in you through growth in Christ. Doesn't that make growing in Christ valuable? Let's look at the next one on the list. Peace. Oh, joy. Let's skip joy and go to peace. How many of you read the newspaper or the internet equivalent? Do you know this phrase? Tell me if this is true. If it bleeds, it leads. When you turn on the 10 o'clock news, nine, now 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 9.30, they're all competing to get your, get your watching uh, in there. What's almost always first on the news? On the Seattle news. Somebody shot somebody. Am I, am I out on a limb here to say that there's a lack of peace there? 
And, and likely, it's not just the first story that's about the lack of peace. It's the first two or three or four. When we talk about world news, is it often about the lack of peace? Am I overreaching there? And God says he wants to produce that in you if you will give your effort to growing in Christ. That seems like a pretty valuable commodity to me. Um, let's, let's look at long-suffering or patience. Do you know anybody? Don't raise your hand. Do you know anybody who's frustrated because they're having to wait for some things they need or they think they need? Patience. Patience. God says, I will produce patience in you. One of the things that's been kind of surprising, at times dismaying, and at times really fun, is to see myself become the patient old guy telling younger people in the church, hang in there, we're going to get there. Because when I first came out of Bible college, I was the guy going, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. What do we have to wait for? Let's just do this thing. Let's go, let's go. And, and now I'm the guy going, hey, it's cool, we're going to get there. It's scary because that means I'm getting old. But it's kind of cool to be able to, to be, as the years go by, to step back. I have a young gal getting ready to go to the mission field for a year. And I know good and well I'm, I'm frustrating her hard. Because, okay, we've got to go through these steps, got to work through this process, got to wait for the Lord to provide. You know, when she gets there, it's going to look like a moment in time, but boy, it's, it's a long, hard wait. God says, I'll give you patience. I'll give you patience. How many diet books and books on anger management have been written? What's the issue, generally speaking? I'm going to generalize a little bit. Which one of these things on this list has to do with dieting and anger management? Hmm, self-control. And God says, I want to give you self-control if you will grow in me. We could think much more seriously about the problem the world calls sexual addiction What's the problem there? Well, part of the problem is also self-control. God says our growth in Christ provides us with the very things people in the world are clamoring for and dying for and needing desperately. Now, the other kind of fruit besides Christ-likeness is the fruit of making disciples. Here's how the Apostle Paul thought about and talked about disciples he had made, people he had led to Christ. What is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. As the Apostle Paul wrote back to the Thessalonians, he, he said, oh, boy, I love you folks. And, and it's just such a blessing to me to see how you've grown in Christ What happens when someone else, not you now, we're talking about others, when you are instrumental in helping someone come to Christ, what's the number one thing that happens to that person? The number one blessing that comes to them. They are on their way to heaven. They're on their way to heaven. How important is that? How valuable is that to be to participate in? I met a man named Carl when his baby died, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, it's always tragic. Carl didn't know the Lord. The woman who was the mother of the child, they were not married at the time, didn't know the Lord. But that woman's parents knew the Lord. And while I was there as the chaplain of the fire department, the police department, I'm dealing with them. Here comes this, this mom and dad. And I knew the mom from one of our churches. 
And so we, we wrapped things up, and I left, and of course they stayed because it's their, their daughter. And that dad, that grandfather, went to Carl, and he said, Carl, Aaron, that was the name they'd given the baby that died, Aaron's in heaven, and if you ever want to see him again, you need to believe in Jesus as your Savior. So he did. <laughs> and he pulled in hard to the Lord. And on the one-year anniversary of his baby's death, he was at the funeral of the baby of some friends of his comforting them. He became a Sunday school teacher to our teenagers in our church. He found a, a, a godly woman and married her, and, and, and he got, uh, things started to work out in his life. He got a new career and moved away, living for the Lord. How cool is it to be part of that? I didn't lead him to the Lord, but I, I got to disciple him a little. I got to baptize him and lead him along in Christ. How great is it to be part of that? When you look back in life, do you look back and say, wow, I wish I'd eaten more donuts? <laughs> Man, you know, I, I only made it to Starbucks once a day. I wish I'd have been there more. And what do people look at when they get to middle age and they look around at their life and they're looking for, where's the value? Where's the reality? Where's the substance of my life? Am I making a difference in the world? And if you can look back and say, praise God, there's a few disciples I touched. Then you're like, Paul, you are my joy and crown. Someday we'll be together in heaven. They're on their way to heaven. Not only that, but, oh, I didn't put that note up there either. Not only that, but their life on earth is going to be filled with spirit fruit as it was with Carl's. The mother of that child decided to deal with her grief by pulling hard to the party crowd she was part of and going off into the drinking, drinking her days away. Carl, Carl became... <laughs> A fruit-producing disciple of Christ. What could be more valuable than investing your life in helping to make disciples? Where else can you find meaning in life on that level? I have a friend in Whatcom County, uh, one of the few young people that I led to the Lord. I'm not a great evangelist to go out and, you know, when I go out and tell people, you got to get right with God, or, you know, like I just expressed to you from Carl's folks, they look at me and go, no, I'm not interested. But this one time I went out and talked to a young man. I said, you need to know the Lord. He said, yeah. And I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. <laughs> and you know, he's walked with the Lord all these years. And he raised a godly family. And he serves in his church, influencing other people for the Lord. And nobody else in his family knows the Lord. Wow. Wow. Ah. Christian, you are sitting on a gold mine. What God wants to do in you in the spiritual life is what the world is seeking. But it requires the effort of growth. Salvation is valuable because it produces spiritual life. Number two, salvation is valuable because it produces righteousness. Now, again... I didn't just say something you don't know, but I'm not sure if you've thought about it all the way through. The Apostle Peter is urging his readers to grow in Christ so they can have the blessing of righteousness. What is the blessing of righteousness? Number one, it's sins forgiven. How great do you think Peter felt when he knew Christ had forgiven him, especially of the denial? Oh, man. Talk about a weight being lifted off your shoulders. Um, wow. And then the, the second blessing of righteousness is, is simply this, sin controlled. What would you say was Peter's chief sin that got him into trouble so much? I'd call it the sin of arrogance. I will never leave you. Obviously, he looked inside of himself and said, I have what it takes. I'm going to walk on the water. And, and on and on with all of his, 
pronouncements that seemed to be uh, mistaken. He, he looked Jesus in the eye when Jesus said he was going to die and pay for sins, and he said, may it never be. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow, how must that felt to Peter? What did Peter become when he received the fullness of salvation on the day of Pentecost? What did his name mean? What? Rock. He became a rock. When Jesus called him a rock, maybe Peter swelled up with pride on that day one. Thought, yeah, you know it, I'm the man. And he found out he wasn't over the course of the next three years. And then the Holy Spirit came into him and God said, I'll make you a rock. And he became a rock. That is the product of righteousness. If you are not growing in Christ, you are not getting the value of righteousness in your life. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things, he who lacks these elements of growth, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Growth in Christ makes you aware of forgiveness because you're progressing in righteousness. What does it mean to be spiritually nearsighted? Um, he who lacks these things is short-sighted, the New King James says. It is the same word that we get that for the medical definition um, of, of nearsightedness, which is what I have. When I take these off, you all look handsome and beautiful. <laughs> and then reality sets in. I have to have my Bible that close. That's how nearsighted I am. What does it mean to be spiritually nearsighted? Well, it would seem to mean the opposite of being spiritually big-sighted or long-sighted. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say um, the things above are way up there and the things of earth are right here. And I believe that spiritual short-sightedness is when I am focused right here, right now, right on this day and time. And I'm walking around like this and I can't see the, the greatness of God and what he's doing and where he's at. The short, the nearsighted believer has his eyes and heart fixed on the problems and the blessings of this life. In other words, when I'm in a time of difficulty, all I can see is difficulty, difficulty. Oh, it's hard, it's hard. And when I want the blessings of this life, that's all I can go after. I, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And look what he says happens. He who lacks spiritual growth become short-sighted even to blindness. The failure to grow in Christ gives you a nearsighted blindness. And look at the second part, that causes amnesia. That's a mixing of the metaphors if there ever was. A nearsighted blindness that causes amnesia. You become so inwardly focused and short-sighted that you forget You've been cleansed. You forget that you've been freed from your sin. I lived in a huge house when I was five years old, five and six. The church my dad pastored met in the first floor of the church, and we lived in the second floor, and the third floor was, was like a, a finished attic space that was empty. Originally, it had been servants' quarters in this big house. It sat on a big piece of property, with a long cement driveway and a creek in the back where we did baptisms. I visited that house a few years ago when I was in Pennsylvania. That's where it was. And it wasn't nearly as big as I remember. <laughs> in fact, that had to be a pretty small church to meet on that first floor. 
when you stop looking at something, stop thinking about something for a long period of time, memory fades and changes and might even slip away. And that's what Peter's trying to tell us. Listen, if you're growing in Christ, you're thinking about the things of Christ every day. You're in the Word every day, every day. But if you don't do that, your, your, your vision comes from this, and it closes into this, and pretty soon you're walking like this, and your life is in a downward spiral, and you think, why can't I move forward? I can't figure it out. Peter says that those who fail to grow are focused on the things close at hand and the effect on their spiritual life is disastrous. How does a man go from being a godly pastor to having a sexual relationship with a woman to whom he isn't married? By short-sightedness. How does a man go from being an active Christian to abusing his wife? By taking his eyes off of Christ. How does a woman leave her productive life to become a drug addict? By focusing on the stuff of this life and the difficulties of this life. How does a man go from being a respected doctor to being a child molester? By looking away from God right here to the things of this earth. Salvation produces righteousness, but only through the effort of growth. It's a great blessing to live in righteousness, but it takes our effort. Number three, salvation produces strength. I love this verse. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, be even more diligent. He he says, be diligent to grow because God has given you all these things. And then he says, you don't want to be short-sighted and blind, so be even more diligent to make your call and election sure and that's a, it's a synonym phrase for saying to know that you're in Christ and growing in Him. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Our salvation is capable of creating spiritual strength, but only as we grow in Christ. The lack of growth creates weakness, which leads to personal failure. What does spiritual strength look like? It looks like a consistently positive life. Now, hang on there. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm so happy there's never a care in the world. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about joy through the difficulties, peace through the difficulties, a consistently optimistic outlook, not because everything is great, but because God is in control. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That's Paul's prayer. Why would Paul pray that if that wasn't possible, if that wasn't God's desire? Why would God allow that to be inspired in the Bible? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just know something terrible is going to happen. Really? That's really what you expect? You know, honestly, one of the things that I encounter frequently, boy, a high percentage of cases in which people get into a crisis in their life, one of their universal challenges is this. If I do the right thing, my life is going to become worse. They believe that righteousness will cause pain and hurt, not joy and peace. Now, I, I understand sometimes when we look at obeying God, there's some sacrifice or some challenge or whatever, but it's the result of nearsighted walking. And when they can open up their eyes and go, wow, God is at work. Why can't I trust him? This is what he wants to do. It is a result of consistent growth. Now, here's the thing I want to challenge you with. Peter says, if you are growing you will never stumble. In other words, if you are growing, this will be true. If you're not growing, no, there's going to be a negative outlook, a fearful outlook, an anxious outlook. 
we had a, uh, a fine man in, in our church in Tukwila. He's still there. He's retired completely now, but he retired out of the military, and then he got a job as a courier, driving around, picking up stuff from doctor's office, taking it to the lab, and that whole business. And, and he was just a happy guy. And he, how you doing today? And so on and so forth. And, and over and over, people said, why are you so happy? He said, why shouldn't I be? I have the Lord. Is there no reason to be happy in the Lord? Oh, Pastor Dave, you don't know how bad my life is. I don't. But I know how big God is. And I know how much he cares for you and how much he's trying to build good things in his life. Well, salvation produces strength, the strength of, po- of positive perspective in life, the strength of the careful avoidance of sin. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. As we walk in the Lord day by day by day, we gain strength so that when temptation comes, we're more able to say no. I have a friend who travels uh, his whole ministry of preaching is traveling around, and, and or his whole ministry is traveling and preaching. And in one of his messages, he talked about this element of spiritual strength. And he said, I was on an airplane, and this guy is, is the, the example of friendliness and, and fun and happiness. And he was on an airplane just being himself and uh, was being friendly with the flight attendant, the female flight attendant, and uh, not trying to flirt, not trying to do anything inappropriate. And when they got close to landing, she says, where are you staying tonight? And he basically said, not wherever you are. <laughs> but you know, you know what he took away from that? He, he looked at that and he said, I was strong. I just said no. And he did it in a kind and a gracious way, but, but he didn't give in. And friend, you need to know your daily consistent growth is going to prepare you for whatever challenge lies ahead. You don't know what's coming. You don't know how big the trial is. We had a, a family in our church where the, the husband, 48 years old, got a brain tumor. And his wife is a model of trusting the Lord. He died a year later. God worked in his life, and it was a marvelous year, a magnificent year. One of the highlights of my ministry career, discipling that man through that year. But his wife, his wife never changed from who she was before. She walked with the Lord. She walked with the Lord. She walked with the Lord. Here comes brain cancer. She's praying to the Lord. She's crying. She's struggling through it, and she's walking with the Lord. She's walking with the Lord, and her husband dies And a month later, she's playing the piano at a funeral for somebody else, smiling and trusting the Lord. Where does that kind of strength come from? To be a 48-year-old widow comes from walking with the Lord, walking with the Lord, walking with the Lord, walking with the Lord. You can't get ready for that in a day. I worked with a bunch of premarital couples this last year, more than I normal, far more than I normally do. And you know what I learned? You can't hurry up maturity. <laughs> you know, if you come to your pastor and say, I'm getting married in three months and I want premarital counseling, don't expect, <laughs> don't expect miracles. Because maturity comes like this. Like this, like this, like this, day by day. And I believe that whenever the day of your marriage comes, if you've been walking with the Lord, God knows how mature you need to be on that day. But if you've been squandering your time to grow in the Lord, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to grow, I'm going to get married, oh, i got to get mature, it ain't going to happen. And you're going to have to do some growing up then, some extra growing up. You're going you're gonna to have to go to, uh, what do they call that, after school? What? Detention. Detention. Yeah, you're going to... Extra, extra study halls. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to be mean. I, I, I hope, I hope I'm, I'm challenging you to think this through and say, I need to get growing because I don't know what's coming. I've had a very positive life. Had challenges here and there, but 
I don't know what's coming, but I want to be ready for it. I want to be ready for it. Number three, close at hand here, is a capacity to endure trials. A capacity to endure trials. Listen to Paul's testimony. And this is uh, toward the end of his ministry. And he's talking to the, I believe, the Ephesian elders. And he said, see, I'm going to go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. In other words, he's going expecting something physically negative, but he doesn't know exactly what it'll be, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Would you just stop and read that real slow? The Holy Spirit testifies in every city. Do you know how the Holy Spirit would have done that? He would have done that by the prophecy of one of the believers in that church. And so here they gather for church, and a person says, I have a word from the Lord, and that's the way God was given his word back then. And he says, chains and tribulations are awaiting Brother Paul. Wouldn't you want to quit going to church? (laughs) The Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await me. And now, see, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen, But none of these things moves me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace. I think some of us look at this guy and think, oh, he was special. You know, we we say he must have had some kind of immaculate conception and preparation of the Lord. And, you know, that's not what everybody does. None of these things moves me. Why? Why Why did none of these things move me? This is why I do not count myself to have already arrived at Christ's likeness, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Every day when Paul got up, he said, I got to move forward in Christ. And, and, and every day, I can imagine him taking stock of the last day, the last week, considering what he was doing, how he was doing it. He was moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And so when the Holy Spirit began to say, you're going to have change and tribulation, he said, okay, I know the Lord can take care of me. He'd already been through stoning to death, you know, um, all other kinds of things. You know, you, you, you know the big list there in 2 Corinthians. The day-to-day challenges of life, get this, will happen to those who walk with the Lord and to those who don't walk with the Lord. The temptations of sin come to those who walk with the Lord and to those who don't walk with the Lord. The trials of faith will come to those who walk with the Lord and to those who don't walk with the Lord. But the believer who is growing consistently will be strong. He will not stumble. He won't collapse when, they, when the challenges come. A few years ago, um, for those of you in my church who've heard me refer to working out for many years, it was the year I started working out. My wife dragged me to the gym. Hey, we're going to go work out. Okay, I'm a man and I can do it, I guess, if I have to. So we worked out for a few months, <laughs> and then we didn't. And uh, as time marched on that year, I, I had a project I wanted to do at home, which was to build a block retaining wall. My topography needed to change on the side of my house between me and the neighbor, and so I got this whole thing conceived of, and, and I hired a guy to you know, dig it out for me, but there was 25,000 pounds of blocks I was going to have to move. And that was back in the days when I would actually start something like that. But I knew I wasn't in that good a shape. So I started working out. I went back to the gym. And I worked out, you know, probably three times a week for a month before I lifted 25,000 pounds of blocks and then got a couple of herniated discs, (laughs) which I still have today. You can't speed up maturity now my plan was right 
but I should have started months earlier and I should have focused on some of these muscles <laughs> that appear so strong and formidable, <laughs> but in reality are ready to stumble. Christian, you don't need to stumble. You don't have to stumble. You can be strong in the Lord. That's what I want for people. I want them to be strong in the Lord. Well, last one here. Growth procures a reward. Look at verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if we grabbed this verse and yanked it out of the Bible and said, what does that verse mean? We would come up with a meaning like this. It means you have to do things for God in order to get into heaven. But if we keep this verse in these first 11, we know that Peter is already talking to people who have believed in Christ. They already have the like precious faith. And the key word here is the word abundant, an abundant entrance into heaven. The whole balance of the New Testament, of course, presents salvation like this. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. So the key word here is the word abundantly. Peter is not addressing the question if these people will be admitted to heaven, but how the reception will be. Paul fills in the blanks for us here out of 1 Corinthians 3. For no other foundation can be laid than the one that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if you build on that foundation, the foundation is you believing in Christ and becoming a child of God. If you build on that foundation of salvation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are things that are eternal in nature. Or if you try to build with things that are temporal and have no value, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built upon it endures, he will receive a reward. If his work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And if I take this truth and come back here to 1 Peter 11, I understand this. You can enter heaven abundantly or thinly. If we build with gold, silver, precious stone, which, which is Christ-like character, which is the fruit of disciples, if we build like that, we have an abundant entrance. We come into heaven and receive reward from God. Now, we can look at this as a duty to perform. Oh, I've got to serve the Lord. Or we can look at it as an opportunity to be seized Can you imagine standing in front of Christ, here it is, and thinking, man, I wish I'd have done more stuff. I, I wish I'd have played golf more, you know, because I just didn't take that much time for myself. You know, I needed some me time. I needed more me time, less time for Jesus. Do you, how do you think you will think when you're standing there? Oh, man, that's a challenging thought. I wish I'd served him less in the church. I wish I'd taken more vacations. Peter is joyfully proclaiming that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness so that we can enter heaven and receive recognition and reward from God. Now, I understand that sometimes when we think about this reward in heaven... Some people conceive of this as a pride inducement, but it's not. It's the inducement of a child and a father, of a team player and a coach. Child brings his grades home, and here's my report card, and, and he thinks, oh, I hope my dad's proud of me. That's what, that's what Christ is talking about at this at this judgment seat. Do you want Christ to be proud of you? Boy, that's a challenging thought. Mm. Peter is writing from the perspective of a wise old man. Verse 12 that we did not consider. He says, my time here is short. 
I don't know if he had divine revelation or if he was just looking around him going, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be meeting the executioner soon for my faith. But he's the wise old man, and, and he's come to know experientially the value of knowing the Lord. He knew what it was like to be weak, and he knew what it was like to be strong, and he knew the distance between those two was growing in Christ. And, and he thought of these, these young believers, wherever they were, and he thought, boy, I want them to have this. One of the commentaries I used in my study was by Alexander McLaren. Um, big set like this. He preached through the Bible, I guess, in his career. He was a, a prolific preacher. I got those commentaries from my dad. My dad was a pastor. And as his ministry and life narrowed down, he gradually divested himself of his books and gave me the first dibs on them. So I have this set. And I used this in my study of Second Peter. And uh, one of the quotes that my dad had circled in here, and I've never read this before, this, this particular part of McLaren. My dad circled this. On the one hand, there are all great gifts and boundless possibilities as to life and godliness. And on the other hand, diligence as the condition upon which all of these actually become ours. And passing into our lives will there produce all these graces which the apostle goes on to enumerate. The condition is nothing secret, nothing hard either to understand or practice, but it is simply that commonplace, humdrum virtue of diligence. If we will put it forth and the gifts that God has given which are not really ours unless we put it forth, we will pass the very substance of our being and unfold themselves according to the life that is in them, even the life that is in Christ Jesus himself, in all the forms of beauty and sweetness and power and blessedness. Diligence makes faith fruitful. Diligence makes God's gift ours. And my dad wrote, I wish I'd known this 35 years ago. Hmm. Friends, I want God's best for you. If you were my church people, that's what I'd be after for you. God's best. And this passage is the path don't wait to come up someday and go, I wish I'd have started this 35 years ago. Don't do that. Heavenly Father, mm, thank you that we can become like Christ. We can have the nature of Christ. We can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. What great blessings. We can enter heaven joyful, abundant. Mm. Father, burn this passage into our mind, into our heart, into our life, into our hands, and into our feet. And may we be growers. May we just be growing day by day, little by little, moving forward in you and reaping those blessings that you've placed here for us. Do your work with your truth as it's been shared this week. I pray in Christ's name, amen.